0: you're listening to fundraising radio a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups the major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on these podcasts no music to relax you no advertisements of our sponsors and in this new season of fundraising radio we are changing things up and talking about sales for early stage startups instead of just the fundraising portion of it. And today's a guest speaker, we have Amjad, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name because Amjad <laughs> is going to touch to that himself. Uh, but Amjad is the head of sales at Socket. And today we're going to be mostly focusing about territory planning, what it means for the sales organization, how do you do it and how much time and effort you should put into doing the territory plan before actually starting to do the sales. So Amjad, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself, explaining how to pronounce your last name and uh, telling us just a little bit more about Socket.
1: Sure, sure. No problem. So yeah, just touching on your your first point, uh, the way you pronounce my last name is just think like you're booking a DJ for a party. So it's pronounced uh, book a DJ. And uh, there's, there's quite a bit of silent letters in there. But once you think about it like that, it's actually not too hard.
0: Uh, book a DJ. All right, that's that's actually that's a great explanation. In that case, now that we have that covered, uh, just give us a brief brief background of yourself and uh tell us just briefly about Socket so everyone is on the same page.
1: Sure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm the head of sales at Socket. Uh, our website is socket.dev if anybody is interested. Um, and what we do is we are a software supply chain security product. Uh, our mission is to prevent supply chain and cyber attacks from affecting our customers so it's been a very exciting journey so far I've been there about a year uh, I've seen a lot happen in the first year um, we we recently raised a series a of funding and uh you know the future looks very promising
0: nice congratulations on the raise um we'll probably touch on to that at the end of the episode, because again, the podcast is still called fundraising radio, even though now we're talking about sales more than fundraising. So um let's kick things off. Let's let's talk about territory planning. Um and let's start with the definition of the territory planning. What does that mean? And uh why do you think it's so important?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, from from my experience, um having a strong approach to your territory planning is the single most important thing you can do to set yourself up for a successful year of selling. Uh, I always like to, to say the Abraham Lincoln quote, uh, which to me is, is, a, is a perfect explanation of, of how I've approached my territory in the past. Um, and the quote goes, you know, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the ax. And the basic idea here is that preparation is key. Um, and that's that's really the truth when it comes to territory planning. Um, you know, I think it, it really is about uh, working smart, not necessarily uh, working overly hard to destroy yourself. I think,, um, you know, in in full transparency, I, I think where most reps fall short when it comes to territory planning is uh, you know they 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 love this phrase that uh, you know, it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. And to some extent, mm-hmm. sure it might be especially, you know, depending on the stage of your company, of course, things will, will change and we can talk about that. Um, But I I think too often you see reps, you know, they get their territory and uh, you know, they get very caffeinated. And then in the first two, three months, they they blast out hundreds of thousands of emails and they, you know, they, they use all of their LinkedIn in mails from sales nav in the first two weeks and they don't have much to show for it a few months later. And that could be really dangerous because um, you know, at the end of the quarter, you, know, you should be close to a quarter the way through your number, maybe a little bit less, right? If you kind of have a ramped quota, um, but, you know, at that at this point, you see a lot of reps where they don't have any deals closed, or they're not even close to having too much in the pipeline, or maybe they've closed one or two deals, small deals, and they're quite a bit away from their number and they wonder why. And then it kind of becomes this snowball effect of where, you know, doubt starts to creep into your mind, Mm -hmm. you start to blame the system, you start to say, well, I have a terrible territory. And, you know, I'm not I was set up for failure. And that's that becomes a very dangerous mindset to get into as a sales rep, where momentum is very key. So, um, you know, for, for me, I think having that plan, well thought out, knowing where to spend your time, first of all, uh, is by far the most important thing because if you do that correctly, the work to actually send out the messaging because it's so strategic and so targeted, and because a lot of times you're you're working through a warm market, when you do it correctly, it's actually not that much work to get opportunities into your pipeline first of all, and then to actually convert those opportunities into you know trials or POCs or you know, uh, getting them to actually take an evaluation seriously. Um, so I'll just pause there first and see if there's any follow up questions about that. But that's kind of the general idea of why I think it's it's so, so crucial, um, you know, to to really prepare and plan your territory correctly at the start of the year.
0: This was perfect kickoff. You've definitely set up this episode for success. Everyone wants to hear it, including myself. So let's, let's dive straight into the territory planning. What are the steps to a successful territory planning and what does it involve in itself? Is it, you know, the identification of the ideal customer profile? Is it actual territory wise division between the reps? Um, what are, what are the steps there?
1: Totally. Totally. So, um, I will say that, you know, this obviously depends on uh, the the business you're selling into. So Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, just to specify what I mean by that, you know, if you're working at a startup like I am now, when I joined the company, we had no paid customers, right? Zero. So for me, the market is very wide. So I have to think about this from, you know, I, I narrowed it down to the United States, right? But how do I approach my territory based on that, right? I don't, I'm not, blocked into a a small segment. Whereas when you get to a bigger company, like, you know, before this, I was, I was a a field sales rep at Google cloud where I sold GCP, you know, my territory was the San Francisco area. And, and I was specifically based on funding levels. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the accounts I had were maybe only 30 or 40 accounts. So it's a much different approach. Um, the, the larger the deals are and the smaller the ac- amount of accounts you have, the more strategic you need to be. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so for the sake of this, I'll just kind of talk more in general terms. I'll assume this is, you know, for a, a, a growing startup company mm-hmm. where, um, you know, you, you have a little bit more of the market. Uh, and I think that would probably be a good basis. And then 100%. we talk about ways to kind of, you know, uh, transform that into regardless of what you're, know territory looks like you can always take these same principles and apply it is that fair
0: absolutely sounds lovely great so i
1: think um my experience my first introduction to territory planning was my first job uh out of college which was i was a sales rep at uh oracle um i sold different cloud products and uh you know i think oracle does a lot of things right with with sellers um i don't know if, if you've heard this but uh they have a very extensive uh sales process um, and sales training that they do for their reps. So uh, I just want to say that, you know, I, I learned a lot there and it was it was fantastic the experience I got. One of the things, however, that I, I, I think they fell a little bit short on was how they uh, ran their territory planning meetings. This was usually done once a year, and it was this long 15, 20 page spreadsheet, right? Presentation with all this information most of the people are falling asleep in the boardroom. It's an all day thing. You take turns, each rep on the team goes through their territory plan. It takes an hour each. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and and kind of like, you know, you're so burnt out from this experience. There's, there's not a lot of focus on like what strategies to take that will actually get you to your number. It's, it's more about like, how can you fill up this spreadsheet to make your management and everyone, (laughs) right. That you're, that you you know, that that you've got to handle on your business and Mm -hmm. like, um, it's it's really no fault to them. I think that's just kind of how traditionally sales has, has been done uh, for for a long time. And so, um, that's so unnecessary for a company at the stage of socket, for example, where you know, I, I'm I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to prove to anybody here, right? I, I really need to get these deals because I want to and because the company relies on it. And so um, you can really explain your territory. you should be able to, I should say, within five minutes. I mean, it really shouldn't take more than five, maybe 10 minutes to go through your entire territory's plan. Now the preparation, of course, takes a heck of a lot longer than five minutes, but generally speaking, this is a, this is the flow that I've taken. Um, It's essentially four components. The first is just a one page overview of all of the information at a high level that you, that you want to reference back to on a daily basis. Um, And it really has to go around it really has to do with like goal setting. Right. And we all know the statistics behind, you know, write your goal down, put it on your wall. You're more likely to achieve it. That's kind of the idea here. So Mm -hmm. um, on the one page overview, you want some basic information, you know, what's your quota, you know, how much pipeline is needed. Uh, You know, what's the closed revenue that you have year to date so far, what's your gap to close, you know, which what's, what's the most likely outcome in terms of how much business you'll close, what's the best case scenario, things like that, right. Things that we've all done before. Um, and maybe one or two goals on there as well. Uh, these could be like personal goals for, you know, uh, you, you you have like career wise. Um, these can be sp- specifics around like types of deals you want to close, anything mm-hmm. to that point. But that's essentially the first slide. Um, the second piece is a top 10 account list. Now you can structure this number based on you know, again, the size of your company. For me, it was more like a top 25 account list just because, again, I had a wider market to cast and I didn't have as much time to spend on, um, you know, I didn't want to spend as much time on like, I, I, what I'm trying to say is I wasn't forced to like, these are the 10 or 20 accounts that I have to sell to. So I didn't mm-hmm. I, I didn't narrow it down to that list. For me, I was looking for, you know, higher buying signals. And so I kind of cast a little bit of a wider net. Um, but essentially what you're trying to do here is you're trying to think about, Where do you want to spend your time on an ARR per hour basis or an ACV per hour basis? Now, I'm stealing that quote from one of the best VPs of sales I've ever worked for. Um, But uh, I love that quote because basically what it tells you is that, um, you know, you might be working on uh, a 50K deal, let's say, Mm -hmm. on an annual basis. But if that 50K deal takes you six months to close... And, you know, they're a very needy customer and, you know, they, they're, they're conducting this like very extensive evaluation process, you know, that's great for that customer. I mean, they're doing the right thing. It's no, no fault to them. But from your standpoint, if if you're an early, if you're a sales rep at an early stage company where your company is relying on your revenue to keep the company afloat and to survive, that's probably not the best place for you to spend your time because the amount of, the amount of hours, sheer hours you're putting into it, once that deal does close, if it does close, right, it it comes out to a very little amount on a per hourly basis. Um, And so in that case, a 25K deal that only takes you maybe three or four weeks to close could be a significantly better account for you to be targeting uh, in in the early days. Mm -hmm. So when you create this top account list, it really needs to be focused on ACV per hour. Um, And you have to have a very... Strong game plan for how you're going to get that deal closed. So, uh, you know, some of the things um, you know you want to do with this account plan is number one, have a rationale behind it. Like, why did you choose this account? You Mm -hmm. know, why why is this one of your top accounts? You know, do you know someone on the board? Um, You know, have you done business with them before at a previous company? Uh, Do you do you have someone that's going to make an intro for you? Like, how are you going to get into the account, right? And it should be a a fairly easy entry point um, if it's a top account. Um, and then you wanna connect the dots, right? How do you get a deal there? What does the deal take? Like, is it, is this per, you know, are you going to leverage a existing relationship to have an introduction to somebody and then you're gonna give a demo to that person that's gonna be your champion or is that person need to introduce you to your champion? You need to have a general idea of how is this deal gonna flow? Because once you once you know in your mind that there is a path to a deal here, you can actually make it become a reality by taking those necessary prep steps to get there. Um, and then, you know, you want to have a, a set of next steps, right? Very concrete. What is the next step? My next step is I am going to reach out to my friend that I know who is connected with this person on LinkedIn, who mm-hmm. looks like they are my, they could be my champion or somebody or an influencer. They went to college together. I know they're good friends. I know for sure I will get an introduction there. Maybe I have to take this guy to dinner, my friend, and ask for that intro. But that is my next step. That is the very next thing I'm going to do for this account. Um, now, notice I didn't say anything about mess. You know, sending out tons of messages. I didn't say, you know, let's let's, you know, hit up everybody. My target market is the engineering team. I didn't say let's message every engineer in the company. Let's <laughs> send out generic messages. Right. This is still just on the planning aspect um so i'll pause for a sec does that make sense so far and then there's two yeah more
0: absolutely great one one follow-up question that i want to throw yeah. in before uh before you start talking again uh is you know you cannot have 25 companies where you have inroads with every single one of them so how do you deal with companies that are not you know that high quality where you don't have a friend who works there what do you do there
1: Totally. Yeah. That's a, that's a fantastic question. So what you're, what you're referring to is, you know, what kind of sales cues do you look for? Like, exactly. The sales you,
0: the they buy intent yeah. signals that you mentioned earlier. Totally. Yeah. How
1: do you, how do you know that this is, this is an account that, um, you know, is worth spending time on. So you look, look for a few things. I mean, I can rattle off a couple of things that I've used in the past. Yeah, some, absolutely. My, some of these might be basic. Some of them are a little bit more complicated, but you know, number one is, um, if I'm targeting, let's say, you know, the engineering department as my, as my buyer at the end of the day, mm-hmm. um, let's look for the executives in the company and how recently did they join the company? If you mm-hmm. have somebody that joined the company within the first hundred days, a lot of times more than not, especially at that senior of a role, they have to put some kind of a 30, 60, 90 day plan in place when they got hired um, of of things that they want to accomplish in their first quarter, right. At the, after joining so if you can find somebody that's in that time frame, um, and you and you're confident you have a good product that solves a need for you know an engineering leader or an engineering team, then that's a good cue to look for uh, because there's there's a chance that they might have an initiative in place to, to evaluate solutions um, like yours, right? Or you might be able to provide value there where you can get their time of day because you know the, again they have incentive to do that. Um, I look for pre IPO companies all the time. You know, one of the biggest things companies do before they go public is they try to cut costs, right. They want to increase their margins. Um, You know, and so if you can uh, it's not only cutting costs, but it's also the justifying to actually purchase a product becomes so much more scrutinized. I'm working with a handful of companies right now at socket that are, you know, pre IPO and um, they're scrutinizing every single dollar that they spend Mm. uh, as they should. And so, um, you're in a way it's, it's more challenging because there's, there's more up against you, but, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's actually a way for you to differentiate yourself against your competition more, because if you know that, then you know that your sales pitch should be focused on quantifying the return on their investment that they're going to get. And if you do the work to do that, you know, nine times out of 10, they're going to choose to go with the company where they can get the clear justification for the budget internally versus, you know, having to do all that work themselves. And so you can, you can look for cues like that as well. Um, I look at competitor news a lot, uh, this, this one gets a little bit more complicated, but this, this one has been, this one has worked wonders for me in the past. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, recently, uh, you know, I heard that one of our competitors cut their R and D department, uh, and so, you know, that, that to me is a clear sign that they're not going to be innovating as much. Um, and so I, I go onto their case. I go to their case studies on their website and I look at their customers and, you know, you might find information about a company that says, you know, or, you know, a customer of theirs that says, I chose to work with this company because they're staying on the cutting edge and they're innovating be mm-hmm. the case anymore. And so I now have somebody on their website that obviously felt so strongly about this problem that they were willing to give a case study for it. And I might contact them. Right. And I might. Have a conversation about it. Now, you gotta have to have some class, you know, here you don't want to just go and bash competitors. Yep. I, I don't I don't think that's a good strategy personally. I I think that'll come back to bite you in the butt. Hundred percent But you can do some discovery there. You can say, you know, so I I saw that case study you gave. It was great, it stuck out to me. What was it about their innovating that you liked? And you know, you, you might find that what they originally thought wasn't the case anymore. And you might not even need to fully replace that competitor, but you could be an add-on, right? And it could be a good foot in the door. Um, so that's another one. Uh, you know, I, I look for mutual investors too. That's probably the last one I'll talk about. Um, you, you, the list goes on. I mean, there's there's so many things you can do here, but mutual investors is another huge one. Um, th- this is mm-hmm. where, this could take me back to the original point of, you know, you don't need to blast out a thousand messages. You might realize that there's a mutual investor you can instead focus your time on writing a really well-crafted ghost email for your CEO, have your CEO reach out to the investor, ask for that introduction. And because that introduction came from an investor already, you're 25% the way closing the deal, in my opinion, Um, you know, versus uh, running the the risk of, you know, coming off as just another sales rep, right. That sends out, you know, standard messaging that doesn't have a lot of context in it and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. But those are
0: some of the cues that I look for. Certainly does, and yes, double does. <laughs> You've also covered a few questions I was planning to ask ahead, so that's absolutely perfect. All right, let's let's keep moving then. Uh, you were planning to uh, finish covering the preparation of the territory planning.
1: Correct. So the first two parts, just to summarize, the one page overview. That's where you talk about, you know, it's like your flashcard. You you mm-hmm. should be looking back at this every day. Maybe you have some goals on there. The second part was the top 10 accounts or top 25, whatever it might be, but these should be focused on your ACV per hour. Where are you going to spend your time that's going to result to the most revenue uh, on an hourly basis for the time you're putting in? Um, the third is, in my opinion, the, the most important part to get off to a fast start, and that's looking at your current opportunities. Now, everybody, I mean, if you're selling a good product, you, you will have some level of the market out there that's, that's interested in, in what you're selling. And um, you know, you will have opportunities. So it's, it's, the question is now that you have the opportunity, how do you actually win the deal? Um, And this is where uh, a lot of people are more focused on the numbers game, where they're like, let me just get a ton of opportunities. And if I just close 10% of them, well, well, why are you only closing 10% of them? I mean, if it's a true opportunity, why aren't you closing 75% of them? And so like, let's, actually fill out the opportunity plan to see if this is in fact a, a really strong opportunity or if you're just, it's just an opportunity that, you you know, you've gotten the pipeline again to inflate your number. to, to manage, mm-hmm. right? um, yep. So everyone's done opportunity plans. I, I think like you, or at least you've heard a lot of these things, but like, let's, let's identify some of the basics. Like who's the economic buyer here is who is the person at the end of the day, that's going to sign, who has the budget for this, you know? what you might find oftentimes is that you're working with somebody the entire process, you get to the end of the deal. And then that person actually doesn't have the budget for it. They need to go introduce you to somebody else. Well, now you're in the 11th hour. You've already forecasted this deal, you know, uh, that it's coming in and you've never even met the person that has the budget. Well, they might have a whole slew of questions, right. That, that, the your champion uh, wasn't aware of. Um, and you might have to restart the evaluation. And I've been, I've been victim to that a few times. Um, so figuring out, you know, doing proper discovery to figure that out early on is important. What is the decision criteria? What is going to come? You know, what is it? What are what are the criteria that the customer has to make a decision? This is oftentimes referred to as, you know, success criteria. If you're doing like an evaluation or a POC, having very concrete success criteria is is uh, integral to this, to the success of a sales rep. And it's not just enough to just have what the success criteria is. For example you know again going back to socket example you know we sell a solution that is very innovative in the space you know there's there's nobody really doing that what what, what we're doing to 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 our extent mm-hmm. and um we uh you know we our goal is to prevent a software supply chain attack from affecting our customers now uh when they do an evaluation they might say well i want socket to be able to detect a vulnerability that could lead to a supply chain attack okay that's great that's a that's a very good success criteria but what are the leading indicators of that what does that what now let's take it a little bit further okay we you want us to detect a vulnerability now what will that detection look like does that mean like how 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 severe does that detection need to be right well it would be nice if we can at least flag it to a developer earlier in their workflow so that they know that this potential you know, piece of code that they're using is risky and we want to flag it to them. Okay, great, so you want some kind of alerting to the developer for them to indicate, at least have a chance to prevent, you know, something very risky from happening. Okay, great. And now what's the return on that investment? Like, what does that mean to you as a business? Well, that means that we don't have to remediate issues after the fact, they might tell you. Okay, great, so time saved uh, after the fact from the security team having to go through and fix an issue. How much time on average have you guys spent right? Fixing those issues, taking it at a further level. Well, you know, it can take anywhere from five to 25 hours. Okay. Five to 25 hours. Great. Now you have very, very valuable information. You can assume that, you know, a really good security engineer might make $150,000 salary or, or whatever. Right. And you can start to quantify that hourly rate. Well, you know, $150,000 a year comes out to about 80 bucks an hour. If they're spending 25 hours on it, you know, it's costing them whatever X amount of dollars every time to remediate an issue. Now, if we Mm -hmm. have 10 issues on a monthly basis, this is how much, you know, return on your investment you're saving by having a tool in place that can proactively prevent that. And so now you have all of this, this information uh, readily available to you. And this is the kind of stuff that you have to think about with every single one of your opportunities, um, because you're going to significantly increase your close rate, uh, you know, from that 10% to 50% or 75% or what have you um so just to fly through a couple more of these you know that you look for in an opportunity plan the paper process is important uh this isn't kind of goes without saying but so many times you know people neglect the fact that legal could take two weeks to six weeks or whatever the you know longer i've one time gone through a legal process that took an entire quarter right yeah for for a large company i mean yeah uh, it, it could be it could be a disaster and so um, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to start that process simultaneously. Nine mm-hmm. times, out of 10, it's a completely different team internally that'll be handling that. And so you have to know just from practice, you'll get better at this, but there is the right time to ask this process. If you're in a POC and it's starting to trend in the right direction, you have totally earned the right to ask your champion and decision maker if they can start the onboarding process just so that you can be doing that kind of stuff simultaneously. Mm-hmm little things, right? These are all, this is all this kind of stuff is going to help you increase, increase your close rate, but also reduce the time to close, um, et cetera. You know, obviously identifying pain, that's an obvious one, right? That kind of goes into what we were talking about. And then little things like who's your champion here, who can influence the deal? Um, are there multiple teams that need to be involved here? Getting to all of this stuff ahead of time, um, are, are all ways of increasing your success rate of closing these deals, but also potentially growing your deal. Um, I did a deal one time with a company where, you know, we found out that multiple teams could benefit from the same product. And so halfway through the evaluation, we actually decided to loop in two other stakeholders Mm -hmm. and, you know, three X the size of our deal. Um, So little things like that, right. Are obviously very important. And then of course uh, the last thing to keep in mind is is competition. You know, who's in the deal with you? Are they evaluating other solutions? Um, Being able to you know, subtly plant landmines for the competition, things where, you know, you differentiate um, ahead of time is is definitely a, a good strategy to have. So that's the third piece. Uh, any questions about that? No, not at all. Cool. Uh, and then the last is just the prospecting strategies. Like, okay, great. We now have our plan. We have our opportunities we're gonna chase down. We have our top accounts. We know what our goals are and our stats are to get us to the number. Now what's the actual strategy behind mm-hmm. that? Um, And so, uh, you know, this is where it now comes down to, if you've done all of this work and you know that you have mutual investors, then maybe one strategy is, let's go through all of our investors, let's see which accounts, you know, that we have a mutual relationship for. And then instead of me blindly reaching out to the investor, let me ghostwrite a nice email for my CEO who already meets with these investors, right, on a monthly basis or quarterly basis, and let's have him or her, you know, make this introduction for us. So that's a great strategy to take in place. Um, I talked about competitor sites, but like looking for case studies, looking for quotes, um, you know, if we, if you know, you, you compete very strongly in one particular vertical, then, you know, looking at, uh, where some of your competitors have won deals with those target accounts, you know, being able to go and, uh, talk directly to that person and say, Hey, you chose this solution because of these reasons based on the case study I read, you know, um, Do you have time to to talk about that? Because what we're finding is that, you know, companies that chose X, Y, Z solution are now looking at our solution because of the additional benefit of X, Y, Z, the cost savings, which are X, Y, Z, right. And so on and so forth. And it's a very kind of pinpointed thing. And again, if they did a case study, they care about this problem or a lot. Um, And then uh, another really good strategy for prospecting, which I think, um, really flies under the radar. I don't hear a lot of, uh, of people doing this, um, especially if you're at a startup like the size of socket.dev where we're, you know, we, we raised a series A, we're starting to, you know, we're, we're past the stage of design partners and early mm-hmm. adopters and we're, we're trying to scale this business now. Um, we're still a relatively small sales team. And so um, you can't spend hours and hours on, on smaller deals Um, and so you have to think strategically, like, how can you increase the velocity of these deals without having to hold their hand through the entire evaluation process all the way? And so something that I've, um, done in the past and that I find really successful is pushing prospects to like a monthly or a quarterly webinar where the agenda for the webinar is to demo the solution. Talk specifically about industry trends. Maybe you you know reach out to uh, you know companies that are all in one industry and you push them to a specific industry webinar, uh, or maybe it's generalized. Right, you can try different different flavors of it, see what works. Um, and uh, the idea here is that it's a lot easier to book a meeting, and to, you know to push somebody to a meeting than to try to pitch them over LinkedIn and over email. It's it's very difficult. I mean, there's so many questions but if you can at least get them to just agree to join a 30 minute webinar, then you can have, you know, that's not a lot to ask for your founder, right? The person that's probably the best at selling your product to come in and do a quarterly, right? Or even monthly, uh, you know, webinar where yeah. they demo the product, they talk about the vision, why did they start the company? What are the trends they're seeing? And now if they're interested, right? You've, you've basically now demoed for potentially, you, you know, you could push 15, 20, 50 companies to this. Uh, and I've done this in the past. And now you're basically, you're, you're demoing for all of them at once. Um, the follow-up becomes a lot easier. Hey, you watched our webinar. What did you think? Did anything stick out to you? They tell you maybe two or three things that stuck out to you. Great. What do you think about doing an evaluation specifically on those two points that you said are important? We have other customers that have done that evaluation of what they found was one, two, three. If you saw one, two, three, would that be something that would be interested in, interesting to you? And now, you know, you can, you can follow up. Uh, with the warm leads, the ones that actually either reached out to you or have responded to your messaging that way, um, because at least now they've seen your product. So um, we can go on all day. I know we don't have a ton of time. Uh, we're at about half an hour, but um, you know, I'll just pause and see. That's that's generally uh, you know, s- some things to, to think about at a high level. Um, of course, if, if you did ever want to have a follow-up session and get more into the specifics of, of what some of those steps actually look like uh, in practice. I'd be more than happy to have another conversation about
0: that. 100%. We should do that. That was a long lasting discussion here at fundraising radio that we should start doing two parts interviews where one part is more high level strategy. And second part is just like digging deep into the specific of each strategy. So yes, there's 95% chance that we'll do part two of this episode. So people, if you're listening to this, uh, check out if there is part two coming up <laughs> because probably <laughs> it is. Um, in this case, yeah, we'll uh, come to wrap it up after one last question. And one last question would be, what's your advice to the founders listening to this right now? Because again, most of people who are listening to this are founders who don't have much sales experience. What would be your advice to them right now? One thing that they can do immediately after this episode is over?
1: Yeah, I think... Um, to- a founder starting a company, um, I would say a lot of times they, you know, can get the time of day a lot more from a prospect than a sales rep can just because of the reputation yeah. and just the sheer fact that they their title says CEO, CEO. and you know, yep. they raise some funding. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it, I think that um, something I've seen a lot of founders do that uh, works against them um, is they 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 underestimate how much of a sales process actually comes down to discovery uh, and deep dive into the problems that they're solving and quantifying those problems for their customers and they just think that if they tell a really good story and maybe they have a background on this that they'll win deals uh just because of their you know storytelling ability and because you know of like the product that they built and mm-hmm. they you know and, and I think that is true to some extent. I mean, you'll, you know, they can probably close down those, you know, those first design partners just based off the vision, which is great. That's extremely important, but to actually be able to scale, uh, you know, a sales organization, and you really got to focus on a lot of the things that I talked about in the current opportunities portion. If you have 10, 15 interested com- companies, that could potentially equate to a lot of revenue, uh, which is extremely valuable at an early stage. So Spending the time to do some of the dirty work, right? That, that sales reps were were just trained to do on a daily basis. Like ask those questions like, Hey, I had a really great time talking to you. It sounds like you are the exact type of person, you know, that understands the problem that we're solving. And you're the exact type of person I want to work with. Can you help me understand a little bit more about like what it would take for you to actually use our product? you know, would you be the person that would ultimately be making this decision? Is there anybody else that you think I should have a conversation with? Right. Like starting to ask those questions um, I would say is probably the the lowest hanging fruit for where founders can get, um, you know, increase their success rate uh, of early sales. And you have to bring in somebody to help out with that, that has experience. Um, It's, you know, a really good sales rep is, is very good money well spent. Um, And so yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I would just say discovery, you know, do more discovery, really make sure you're, uh, you know, you're, you're knocking on the right door.
0: Yeah, And actually discovering because again, yeah, a lot of founders don't ask that many questions or ask wrong questions. So yeah, that's a great call to action. Uh, ask them questions on the damn discovery that's that's what the discovery is there for right (laughs) so on this note we'll wrap it up as usually all the stuff that was mentioned during the episode is going to be in the description of this episode so go read it um i'll follow up with amjad uh, to see if there are any books relevant articles that you would like to recommend and if there are any there are going to be links in the description of this episode and Yeah, that'll be my call to action. Go read it, go check out the resources that we're going to share there. And of course, be on the lookout for part two of this, where we're going to take a much deeper dive into this discussion we just had. And as always, have a good day.
1: Take care, Constantine. My pleasure.